Wherever you store your treasure, that's where you'll always be looking. And wherever you look, that will determine the direction of your life. You will steer your whole life toward that treasure. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom continues his current series with part three of The Deadly Dangers of Materialism. It's a study on personal wealth and possessions, taken from Matthew's account of the Sermon on the Mount, and how, if you're not careful, those possessions could become more important than the Lord and His kingdom. What does it mean to store up your treasure in heaven? What are the principles involved? And how can you tell the difference between storing up treasure in heaven versus storing up treasure for yourself here on earth? Today, Tom will continue to look at the three dangers of materialism and how storing up wealth on earth will never compare to heavenly treasures. Open your Bible and let's join Tom Pennington right now on The Word Unleashed. Contrary to the teaching of the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel that taints 90% of the charismatic movement, Jesus never promised that following him will always bring a financially prosperous life. Jesus never said that if you just give enough, if you just sow enough of your money into the kingdom, if you just have enough faith, God is going to give you wealth. In fact, it is obvious not only from Jesus' teaching, but even from his own life that that's not true. Right after the Sermon on the Mount, we have this account in Matthew chapter 8, verse 18. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. Then a scribe came to him and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Here, one of the leaders of the nation, one of the lawyers responsible to interpret the Old Testament to the people and teach them, breaks with his compatriots and expresses his willingness to become a follower of Jesus Christ. But Jesus knows that this man, how well-intentioned his motives may be, has not yet truly counted the cost of following him. And so he brings up the issue that will be the issue in this man's life. Notice what he says in verse 20. Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus isn't saying that every follower of his is going to live in poverty. Obviously, that isn't true from the record and the teaching of the New Testament. He's saying, though, when it comes to his own life, To follow him may in fact not lead to financial prosperity. It may lead to deprivation. And he himself didn't own his own home. He lived in a borrowed home in Capernaum, his headquarters. And he died literally possessing just the clothes that were on him. And those were divided among the soldiers. Spiritual life and God's blessing do not always bring financial prosperity. Our Lord may sovereignly determine to call some who are already wealthy in this world into his kingdom and make them his followers. 
Those who are already his followers, he may choose to give more wealth than they could have imagined they would ever have. But whether we are rich or whether we are poor, we cannot allow personal wealth and possessions to become more important to us than our Lord and his kingdom. We must always be on guard against the dangers of materialism. And that is the message of the section that we're looking at together. Beginning in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19, and for the rest of chapter 6, our Lord explains how we should think about wealth and possessions. It's really about materialism. We use that word. Materialism is simply preferring material possessions and physical comfort to spiritual values. Preferring material possessions and physical comfort to spiritual values. Now in this section, our Lord, first of all, in verses 19 to 24, helps us recognize the dangers of materialism. And then in verses 25 to 34, he explains how to overcome those dangers. So we're looking just at the first section as he helps us recognize what the deadly dangers of materialism actually are. Let's read it together again, Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. This is what our Lord says to us. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then, if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Now in this paragraph, Jesus identifies for us three deadly dangers of materialism. And he expresses those dangers in three very pointed statements. The first danger comes in verses 19 to 21. And notice how he states the danger in verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The second danger comes in verses 22 to 23. And again, notice how at the end he states the danger. If the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? The third danger of materialism comes in verse 24, and he states it this way at the end of verse 24, you cannot serve God and wealth. Now we'll look at each of those dangers as we work our way through this passage together. Last week, we began to examine the first deadly danger of materialism. It is the danger of being completely consumed by materialism. This is in verses 19 to 21. We looked last time just at verse 19, where Jesus explains the wrong approach to personal wealth. And specifically, notice his prohibition in verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. 
Now, I took you to a number of places in Scripture to show you how we are not to understand this passage. Jesus did not mean that it is sinful for followers of his to be wealthy. Wealth in and of itself is not an inherent evil. It's the love of wealth that's the issue. Secondly, we learned that Jesus did not mean that it is sinful to work hard, to excel in our business, and to provide for our own families. In fact, we are commanded to do that. Thirdly, Jesus did not mean that it is sinful to save for the future. We are given examples of that, and those examples are encouraged. We are even commanded to save up for the future. Fourthly, Jesus did not mean by what he says in verse 19 that it's sinful for us to use some of our resources for our own enjoyment. In fact, in both Testaments, we're told that the fruit of our labor is part of God's gift to us. We can enjoy the fruit of that labor. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul says that God gives us richly all things to enjoy. So if that isn't what Jesus meant in verse 19, what did he mean? Well, we learned last week that Jesus meant when he said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, that it is sinful, first of all, to selfishly hoard the wealth that God has given us. The word to store up has the idea of stacking one thing upon another, of accumulating, and specifically accumulating more than you will need or ever use. It's to hoard the wealth that God has given us. That's what he's prohibiting in verse 19. Secondly, we learned also that he's prohibiting us from selfishly spending the wealth that God has given us only on our own personal comfort and pleasure. Yes, we can enjoy the fruit of our labor, but if we use it solely for ourselves and our own benefit, we are prostituting the purpose of that wealth. We are violating our Lord's command because we don't store up treasures in heaven by spending on ourselves, as we'll see today. Thirdly, we learn from other places in the New Testament that we are not to sinfully crave the wealth that God has not given us. You don't have to be wealthy to violate the command of verse 19. If you long for wealth, if you crave what God hasn't given you, if you live in the desire for wealth, then you are out of touch with what our Lord is commanding here in verse 19. Now, before we leave verse 19 and continue on to the positive in verse 20, I want to first look at the rest of verse 19 because Jesus explains why this is patently the wrong approach. And he gives us two reasons why it makes no sense to store up for ourselves treasures here on earth. First of all, it makes no sense because you can't depend on earthly treasure. All earthly wealth is uncertain and fleeting. Notice verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Jesus here highlights several weaknesses that are inherent in earthly treasure. All earthly treasure. First of all, notice he says moths destroy. Now that's an unusual statement for us in the 21st century because what we invest our wealth in 
for the most part, cannot be destroyed by moths. But one of the investments that wealthy people in the ancient world made with their resources was in expensive clothes. In fact, you remember that it was a beautiful Babylonian garment that was the stumbling block for Achan as he made his way through the city of Jericho and cost the defeat of God's people. Because our garments are mass-produced, the price of them, the value of them compared to our total income is not really that much. But in the first century, a person's clothing often represented a considerable investment. They were usually, they were all handmade, and they were usually very carefully and meticulously handmade. And so therefore, they had great value. They'd come at great cost. And fashion changed very little and very slowly. I long for those times. But because of that, those expensive garments were passed down as part of the inheritance from generation to generation. Now, I'm the last of ten children, and there were garments passed down to me, but they had no value, let me tell you. All the value had been completely used up by the time I got them. But not so in the first century. Now, the best of clothing in that time period would have been made of wool. The problem with that, of course, is that moths deposit their eggs in wool, and moth larvae love to feed on wool. And so even if you were extremely wealthy, and even if you had these expensive garments that had been passed down to you from generations before, or you had become wealthy and invested in those garments for yourself, even if you had all of that, protecting that investment in those expensive clothes was a very difficult thing. Often, your investment was literally eaten up. Moths destroy. Jesus also says in verse 19, rust destroys. Now, that's a little misleading in its translation because the Greek word for rust literally means eating. And every other time the word occurs in the New Testament, that's how it's translated. So this is probably not a reference to wealth held in metals that corrode or rust, it's far more likely that the reference is to wealth held in grain. This was very common in the first century world. It was an agricultural society. There were farmers, wealthy farmers, landholders, and they held their wealth often in grain that had been stored. You see this in the rich farmer in Luke chapter 12. You remember he said, I'll tear down my barns, I'll build bigger barns, and I will store all of my grain and my goods there. Jesus' point is that if you chose to invest your personal wealth in grain that's stored, then you risked it being eaten by mice and rats and insects. But even those things that are not easily destroyed by moths or by vermin, even those things, notice what he says in verse 19, thieves can break in and steal. Literally, thieves dig through and steal. Very picturesque word, and it's right out of the first century because most of the homes were made with mud walls. So literally, if a thief wanted what was valuable in your home, he dug through the wall. And he searched in your home, he found the valuables that were there hidden. Since homes were so vulnerable, and since there were no banks... 
people would often literally bury their valuables somewhere on their property away from their homes and somehow disguise it. You remember in Matthew 13, Jesus describes a man who finds a treasure buried in a field. He was trying to protect his wealth from being stolen. Now, Jesus' overarching point here is don't store up your treasure in commodities here on earth because they can all be destroyed or stolen or lost in some other way. Now, we don't carry our wealth in garments. We don't, some, most of us don't anyway. I won't say about all of you. I haven't looked in your closet. But, but most of us don't. Most of us don't carry our wealth in grain. But regardless of what we are invested in, and today we are invested in a number of different things, our earthly treasures can disappear in countless ways. That's Jesus' point. How do our treasures, think about your own investments, think about your own personal wealth. How does that disappear? Well, it disappears through a prolonged illness in which you can't support yourself. It disappears through the loss of a job, through a bank failure, a faulty investment or a fraudulent investment, or a recession like we've just had, or a stock market crash, or as may be coming, runaway inflation. Wealth just vanishes It disappears. That's Jesus' point. All earthly wealth is fleeting, so don't invest your treasures here. But he gives a second reason for not investing in treasure on earth. Not only because you can't depend on it, but also because you can't take it with you. Notice Jesus' deliberate contrast in verse 19 between storing up on earth, in verse 20, storing up in heaven The clear implication is that the wealth you accumulate here stays here. Think about that for a moment. Think about what you own, your possessions, your assets, whatever those may be. Even if you manage through your entire life to protect those resources, which is a challenge, but if you manage to protect them and not to see them diminish but to grow, they all stay here. Someday, every person in this room, if our Lord doesn't return, will die. It's the reality. And you're taking none of it with you. Job, in Job 121, says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. 1 Timothy 6, 7, We have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. I love the story, in fact, I'm sure I've told it to you before, of the wealthy Texas businessman who demanded in his will that he be buried in his Cadillac. And as two cemetery workers watched this Cadillac being lowered by a small crane into the the hole they had dug in the earth and the wealthy businessman sitting at the wheel of the car, one of the workers said to the other one, man, that's really living It's true. You cannot take it with you. So here's the heart of Jesus' prohibition in verse 19. Don't selfishly hoard what God has given you. Don't selfishly spend all that God has given you on yourself. And don't sinfully crave what God hasn't given you. Because you can't depend on it and you can't take it with you. That's the negative, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. 
Now we come to verse 20. And in verse 20, Jesus goes on to tell us the right approach to personal wealth. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. Here is Jesus' command for all of us who are his disciples. Jesus says literally, instead of treasuring up for yourselves treasures on earth where they can be destroyed or stolen, treasure up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, there's an important point implied in our Lord's words here. Contrary to what the TV prosperity gospel preachers teach, investing in kingdom work doesn't always bring financial results here. Nowhere are we promised that we will all get guaranteed financial results in this life. Instead, our Lord says we are investing where? In heaven. And it's primarily in heaven where we receive the return on that investment. But of course, this verse raises the key question, how? Jesus says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. How do you do that? What are the ways to store up treasure in heaven? Well, there are three of them. First of all, and this is absolutely crucial, make sure you will be in heaven. Make sure you will be in heaven. You see, the Pharisees gave their money. They thought to God. They gave their money to the temple, and through that, they thought they were giving to God. But their treasure wasn't invested in heaven. In fact, look back at chapter 6, verse 2. He says to his disciples, when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do. That's a reference to the Pharisees in the synagogues and in the streets. In other words, they try to call attention to themselves in their giving. They do it so that they may literally be glorified by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. They weren't investing in heaven and they had no prospect of a return in heaven. In fact, in Luke 18, Jesus has a Pharisee say, I pay tithes of all that I get. Pharisee gave 10% off of everything he got. But two verses later, Jesus says, I tell you, that man was not justified. He was not declared right before God. He had no treasure in heaven, no hope of treasure in heaven, because he wasn't going to heaven. To invest your treasure in heaven, you first have to be justified. You have to be declared right before God, not based on your own righteousness. That will never happen, but based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ, his life, and his death. You have to know God through his son. You have to repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ. Why is it that Christians are so often willing to give from their resources for kingdom work? I thought about that this week. There are a number of answers that we could give. We could say, well, Christians do it out of love for Christ. They do it out of obedience because Scripture commands them. And, and both of those things are true. But, but I was really struck by the fact that it's because our definition of treasure has radically changed. Other things besides money and wealth have become our treasures. Christ and the gospel and belonging to his kingdom In fact, turn over to Matthew 13. 
Matthew 13, this is of course the long chapter filled with parables about the kingdom, Jesus' spiritual kingdom to which all believers belong. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part three of The Deadly Dangers of Materialism. We'll have part four for you on our next program, and we do hope you'll join us then. But before we leave you today, here again is Tom with some closing thoughts. You know, our Lord isn't condemning wealth. He's not saying that those who come to follow him should give away everything they own. And so it's more about our hearts. It's about how we view those things. And ultimately, it's about what we value. So the question we have to ask ourselves in the end is this, is Jesus worth more than everything else to us? Are we willing to have him and lose everything else? If so, then our hearts are really based in contentment in Christ and in him alone. Thanks, Tom. And friend, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear from you. And if you haven't reached out before, or if you're a first-time listener, we'd like to send you Tom's book, Jesus' High View of Scripture, free of charge. Just subscribe to The Word Unleashed on our website, and we'll mail you a free copy of Tom's book. And don't forget to connect with us on social, at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.